Hello and welcome uh, to another edition of MSU Today. Uh, today, our first guest is Ron Hendrick. Uh, Dr. Hendrick is the Dean of the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources here at Michigan State University. Uh, welcome to the program, Ron. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Appreciate you having me. So uh, could you just start out by telling our, our listeners a little bit about uh, what a what a dean of a college of agriculture and natural resources does and how it is that, that you came to this position. Uh, I made kind of a circuitous route back to the university, Bill. I did my bachelor's and PhD degrees here and I left in 1992. I did a, a postdoctoral fellowship in Alaska. And then I went to Georgia for 16 years there and that's where I spent most of my active faculty career. And, Migrated back a little bit north to the Ohio State University for about seven and a half years and then came back here in the summer of 2016 as, as dean. So um, again, kind of a circuitous route back, but uh, it's been, you know, an interesting and exciting time. Uh, our college does uh, a lot of different things. You would expect, of course, related to food, but the environment as well. But, you know, I have everything from interior designers to soil microbiologists on my faculty and everything in between. And so my responsibility really is to empower my leaders at many levels uh, in order to do the teaching, the research and the outreach missions. We are a little different than other colleges because we're also the home for MSU Extension and our statewide presence there. And then also Ag Research, which is our, our agricultural experiment station as Michigan's land grant university. And then I think, as you know, we have a very big international footprint as well, and are uh, literally on every continent uh, and uh, in many parts around the world and, and have remained that way here through the pandemic as well. How has the pandemic affected the college? At Michigan State, so many of our units have been working largely remotely. A College of Agriculture and Natural Resources has uh, many, uh, just by way of example, many, uh, many animals that are, that are part of our, our, uh, uh, our work uh, out on the, the farms. And uh, you know, when, when you look at, it's actually interesting, when you look at the university's footprint, uh, probably two thirds or better of that footprint belongs to your college. And, uh, uh, and people don't realize how far south our, our property actually extends. Uh, and on that property are, uh, horses and cows and uh, and and multiple variations of chickens and other fowl and uh, uh, so so how has the uh, the, the pandemic uh, Im impacted your operations? Yeah, well, thanks. We do have a very big footprint. I think we are definitely the university's biggest tenant in terms of of acres occupied. You know, and the governor's executive order uh, initially came out, there were exemptions for things related to food and fiber production, uh, including research. So we had both the, the fortune and the big lift of, of getting our research adapted to this, this new operating environment. And, um, you know, one of the things, as you mentioned, that couldn't go uh, interrupted at all was the care for uh, all, all the things that we have custodial responsibility for. And so I think you know, all of us, we've been focused on the two-legged, right? It's about keeping ourselves and our colleagues uh, and our students healthy and those around us. But, you know, I've got a lot of four-legged critters and, and, you know, I have entomology. So I have six legs and eight legs and a hundred legs. 
and you know fisheries and wildlife and so there's fins and feathers and furs and all those things require care. Uh, some require more than others. Some it's sort of a feeding and watering and looking after basic medical care but at our dairy facility those cows need to be milked every day and now milked, uh, we're milking them twice a day and so you know much credit to my staff uh, and the staff leaders as well as faculty and my administrators for keeping all those things going and we've been remarkably uninterrupted but it was a very big lift early on getting uh, things going. You know, when we moved to remote work in late March, we were right on the cusp of the start of the growing season. So crops and other things need to go out and not just ours to support our work, but our stakeholders. You know, we're a very agriculturally diverse state. And so um, we are working with our partners and, and on farms and with them and in their facilities uh, year round, but particularly during the growing season. You know, we can't let insects or disease problems, you know, that might decimate an important food crop, for example, uh, get out ahead of us. And we're always on the outlook for, you know, animal and wildlife diseases and other sort of things. So it was a very big lift, and, but uh, with the help of the, the university and, and senior leadership and, and my folks within the college, I think we've done a, a remarkably good job. Well, I think that's always one of the, the really interesting aspects of Michigan State University that that maybe isn't quite so obvious is that, uh, you know, when, when we have a snow day, uh, there are a lot of people for whom a snow day isn't an option. You know, we have a, a police department, we run an on-campus hotel, uh, we have, you know, typically 15,000 students living in the residence halls that need to be fed every day. And then we have, as you say, uh, cows to be milked and, uh, and other animals to be fed and, uh, uh, and, and taken care of. And it really is a 365 day a year. Uh, you know, I was going to say job. It's 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 less a job than sort of a calling. I think uh, when you're uh, co committed to to to, to the, the sort of Noah's Ark of animals that make up the the college. But uh, yeah. one, one thing you said, I thought uh, it was an important point to uh, to emphasize and and maybe talk a, a bit more about. Uh, there are there are stakeholders throughout the state of Michigan that rely heavily on the work that you do, and um, you know when you when you think about uh, what we are as a university and as as this, the the country's pioneer land grant university, uh, you know part of that that land grant university philosophy is applied research and uh, taking what happens in the laboratory. Or, or on the laboratory bench and being able to translate that into uh, making the lives of the residents of the state of Michigan better. And, and probably there's no better example of that than the work that you do in the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. And the, I think about uh, a trip that, that I made uh, several years ago up to our uh, extension station in, in uh, our experiment station up in Traverse City and they uh, walked us through how they were working with the cherry community up there to uh, to try and eradicate a bug that was uh, that was really could be, really could cause the uh, uh, the cherry crops uh, great great damage. And uh, and it's that kind of work, whether it's in uh, uh, in developing uh, uh, tools and techniques, whether they're pesticides or other tools, to uh, to to keep our our plants and fruits and vegetables safe. Or uh, when 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 disease hits uh, hits our, our animal herds, 
and the impact that that, that could have on our on our population and and our food sources. And uh, so so your your outreach and if we were in a business school, we'd call it uh, you know return on investment. Uh, the, the great investment that the state of Michigan makes in in Michigan State University and how we as a university return that investment to to the state in so many ways. And, and as I said, I think one of the best examples is what happens in your college. Uh, could you share a little, a little bit of that story with us? Michigan's a really agriculturally diverse state. We produce well over 300 food and fiber products and we're second only to California in terms of the number of products that we produce. But of course we have a much smaller land area uh, but we're able to do that because of all the climatic diversity we have in the state and then the geologic diversity in our soils. And so uh, you mentioned our Northwest uh, Research Station bill up in Traverse City, and that's co-located where we grow cherries, obviously, but also increasing amounts of wine grapes and apples and other sort of things. We have 15 such facilities distributed around the state, including two in the Upper Peninsula. Um, and so, you know, in the Thumb area, we have a, a facility north of Frankenmuth, and that's, of course, a part of the state <clears throat> where we grow a lot of dry beans and beets and other important crops, and those are the things that we work on there, and uh, the, the, the climatic diversity in the state and the geologic diversity means that we, we grow different things all around the state, and we're present with our partners there. Yeah, that's it. Really, is uh, is amazing how we can have a uh, a cherry crop up north and 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 blueberries uh, and then sugar beets and uh, uh, you know, such a diverse range of crops. And uh, given the, the the climate and the the soil, um, and and how we we assist the state with with all of that. I'm I'm close to uh, a number of uh, turkey producers on the west side of the state, mm -hmm. and uh, and they uh, rave about the work that the university does, both in in your college and the College of Veterinary Medicine, to yes. uh, assist them with uh, uh, with issues that come up, and uh, as they uh, you know, as as they, uh, they they work their their turkey farm essentially. Yep. So, Ron, you referenced uh, an international presence, and I think sometimes people. Uh, uh, think of, of Michigan State as a place that, that serves the state of Michigan, but increasingly that footprint is international. Could you, you tell us a little bit of, of, about the work that, uh, that the college does around the world? Yeah, well, I don't think you'd be surprised to know that a lot of our work's focused on food security. Uh, you know, Michigan State, uh, along with just a couple other universities, really sort of are the biggest um, partners that for many uh, countries in Africa. And so we work with local farmers and farmer cooperatives. We work with federal and regional governments in those agencies. And our work is focused on things related to policy. You know, you have to have markets in which both producers and purchasers can have trust. Um, it's about helping processors and building up those facilities so that you have value-added products in country. It's about helping farmers you know, both from a subsistence standpoint and also, uh, you know, smallholders and from a commercial standpoint. I mean, food security is fundamental to everything else. It's fundamental to economic security and national security. And so, you know, we have changed the lives literally of millions of people. 
uh, around the world and particularly proud of the work that we and others have done in Africa and continue to do today. But we're working in Asia as well. We have partners in Europe, Central and South America and, uh, you know, focus mostly on things related to food, but also the natural environment, another real strength of ours. Um, we have, you know, you go to places, parts of the world that are very remote. Um, and you mentioned Michigan State University and people know who we are. Um, we have a very strong reputation. We're seen as a trusted partner. We're seen as people who work with, um, you know, we understand the importance of going into local communities and, and even in households and respecting people and customs and other things and that we're not there to, um, to tell how, we're there to help learn together and to help show how where we can, but it's really all about making people self-sufficient uh, <clears throat> from a nutritional standpoint and more so from an economic standpoint. And, um, you know, Michigan State, we've had international students on this campus bill for over a hundred years, uh, very early in, in that respect. And, um, uh, you know, people talk about our brand um, you know, and that main name, that name, Michigan State University, means something. But it's less about the brand, and I think more about the positive impact we've had in so many places around the world, and continue to have today. And a real point of pride of Michigan State that, as you said, I think a lot of people probably aren't aware of. Yeah, now there's the there's that old uh, old British saying that the sun never sets on the British Empire. But uh, when you think about the the expanse of Michigan State and its influence around the world, you could really say the same thing. It's uh, I, I've always made a point when I travel uh, either domestically or internationally to wear a, a, a ball cap or a, a, a windbreaker or something with the Spartan logo on it. And it's always amazing to me whether you're walking through a, a, a city in Vietnam or London or uh, you know, or, or someplace in Louisiana. It's, uh, it's amazing how if, you, if you're sporting your apparel, uh, you'll, get a, you'll get a go green shout out before the day is through almost no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, very true. We, um, you know, we have those connections every place. We have those alums all over and, you know, throughout the pandemic, it's, you know, I've, talked about the three R's for our college. And, you know, we have a lot of talent, a lot of expertise on campus, but externally, you know, we have our reputation, we have those relationships and we have that reach, that global reach. And those are things on which we've been able to build, but things that have also helped sustain us in particular over the last nine or 10 months. In the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, there are probably a larger percentage of classes uh, that are uh, really more hands-on focused, whether it's interacting with, uh, with, with our, our crops uh, and, and our, uh, the, the acres of research land that we have, or uh, interacting with animals um, in those, those agriculture-related fields in your college, uh, or, in, in the, uh, or, or laboratory courses in other, other scientific disciplines. And so, you know, one can imagine that if you were teaching a, uh, a literature course, for example, in, in the, uh, the College of Arts and Letters, it would be not too hard to take that online. Uh, uh, on the other hand, in those courses that are really uh, sort of uh, stuff intensive, that, that, that require more of a, a hands-on approach, uh, 
uh, it would seem more challenging to take those online. So how has, how has the college uh, uh, cleared that hurdle and, and worked through that set of issues with a, uh, w- with a, a curriculum that, that probably is more, more hands-on than most? Yeah, that's certainly been a big lift for our teaching faculty. And I think, Bill, with everyone else across the university in the springtime, we made that quick pivot. And there was certainly a lot of improvising going on. But the faculty prepared over the summer. Um, you know, the university put on, on training programs, week-long programs uh, for faculty. And I had over 200 faculty in the college that participated in those to learn how to create content to deliver online, not knowing exactly what fall would, would hold. And so we've been able to, um, as we've been in some of our other things, a lot more use of video. You know, I know I've seen video of some of our animal science faculty, and rather than taking the students physically through the barn with them, they and the teaching assistants have moved them in a virtual way through the farms and, you know, uh, and, and through the handling of animals and other sort of things. But some of that hands-on work still had to be done. So, you know, in forestry, we had our faculty members who teach some of our field experience courses packing up equipment and some instructions and then mailing that off to students and then sitting with the students, showing them how to learn things. And instead of going to work in a public woodland or forest somewhere, they found local areas. Our parks uh, and recreation uh, students, they, uh, for their, some of their projects, they took on local parks, you know, rather than working in a, a campus area or somewhere in, in Lansing or East Lansing area. So, for some of those students, you know, they got the hand-on, hands-on experience, and they were also immersed more in the local environment. And I know some of them reported back, it really meant a lot to them to be able to do projects and to be able to work uh, and feel they were learning about or maybe helping with something close to home. Um, and so, you know, we've had other faculty doing that well, shipping things out and, and, you know, spending a lot of extra time as have the students, but to try and replicate to the extent possible those experiences. And as I think all of us learning what we can do better through these as well. And what's, what certainly certain things can't be done uh, as well or as to the extent we would like remote, uh, but other things can. And so as we move back, you know, I think finding what's the proper blend of the hands-on and, and the distance or remote uh, learning, um, you know, that's gonna be the balance for us. And I, that'll take a while to figure out um, but, you know, the faculty have been, been very ingenious about that, and the students have been very engaged and very accommodating. Well, and I think that's uh, maybe an example of how we figure out how to make lemonade out of this lemon that has been COVID, and, and thinking through some of the, uh, the lessons learned and the, you know, your example of, of students working locally with, with parks in their area and the... Uh, and how that's so rewarding. There, there are some things probably that we've done that, uh, that have caused light bulbs to go off over people's heads and having aha moments of that's something to incorporate into the curriculum or that's an, an, an idea that's, uh, that, that's worth continuing. And, uh, and so that's, yeah, I, I think, you know, really a testament to the creativity and, and vision of the faculty in, in thinking through how those, uh, First, first, how to adapt to that change, yep. and and then how to really you know try and make the most of it, and are there are there opportunities in all of this to to drive forward and and push ahead and and do things maybe a little differently, a little more creatively, uh, 
be, be you know, out of out of necessity and uh, and then taking those kernels and, and pearls of, of wisdom that are learned and and applying those as we go forward to, to make the the curriculum better uh, and that's yeah, to me that's really exciting um, mm -hmm. so, so so we've got we've got faculty that that that, uh, that that teach our courses but those same people and others also engage in research and I know that the uh, the, the pandemic has affected our, our research faculty. Uh, you know, in, in some cases, we've had uh, our faculty, you know, really make a difference in, in applying what they know uh, to, the, to, to the pandemic and, and becoming part of the solution. Uh, you know, one example I found really fascinating, although I think there, there probably are others, was uh, Joan Rose, one of our uh, you know, really uh, internationally recognized uh, uh, water researchers, uh, and uh, and the work that she did uh, to to help uh, with COVID. Could you, you share a little bit of that story with us? Yeah, Joan's work, you know, has, has been really looking at tracing the virus in wastewater, and you know, we shed the virus in a variety of ways, but through human waste is one of those, and by monitoring. Um, wastewater, sewage basically, you can track the virus, the abundance of the virus, and by knowing where it enters into the wastewater system, you can help identify where it's originating geographically. And so in terms of being able to predict outbreaks, um, you know, you can be shedding the virus before you might be showing symptoms or being uh, even asymptomatic. And so it's one way of sort of indirectly testing to find those areas and those populations, those communities or neighborhoods where people might might be at risk, and um, you know, St. Joe's has been very instrumental in doing that work and in working with the state and with others. Um, faculty member of mine, Jade Mitchell, has been um, you know really sort of tag teaming with Joan, and Jade looks at um, risk management and risk behaviors and those sort of things. And so we have faculty building on their their expertise with one another. Dr. Laura Bix is one of my packaging faculty members and administrator, and her specialty is medical packaging. So she's been really instrumental in helping the university in our spit testing program, uh, because Laura knows how those things have to be put together and how you have to handle, you know, sample cups and other things so you don't get contamination and, and both the, uh, you know, so things are simple and straightforward for people to use. So there's been a lot of ways that the faculty have been engaged. And I think the other you know, area bill we've seen is around the food system. And we've seen vulnerabilities in the supply chain. And uh, particularly a couple of my agricultural, uh, food agricultural economics faculty, their expertise is in this area. And so they've been uh, prominent, not just here within the state, helping our producers and our farmers and our processors, but, um, you know, in the national news and, and uh, functioning as resources for people in other places as well. And it's gratifying because we know the work that we do is important on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, you and the other here at the university know that. But when our faculty and those in other colleges can contribute in material ways to, you know, people who are suffering or scientists and health officials who are trying to track disease, it just adds one more layer of gratification to the things that we do. You mentioned Laura Bix, and I uh, I distinctly remember the first time I went over to the, the small building behind my office and 
picked up a Spartan spit test and walked back to my office and put the little box on my desk and uh, read the instructions. And I think I read the instructions twice to make sure I wasn't goofing it up. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, this is really cool. I mean, you know, how it's designed. And uh, I've also sort of been a fan of design, but, but how, how it's designed to put the little tubes in the top of the box and, and, uh, and it walks you through it in a really clear and, and thoughtful way and, and makes sure that you don't goof it up. Um, and, and I didn't realize until now that, that Laura had designed that, but uh, it's, um, you know, it, it's those, those things that, that, uh, that, that maybe seemingly pass uh, in the moments of your everyday existence that uh, you, you wouldn't think that you know, somebody, uh, uh, you, you don't necessarily at least intuitively dive into how that product came to be. And, uh, and I think that's one of the, one of the more interesting areas of, of your college that, uh, that most universities don't have is a school of packaging. And, and sometimes when we talk about it, people scratch their heads and say, you know, what is a, you know, what is, what is packaging? And, uh, and yet, yeah, I think every, uh, Every person I've known that's graduated from the college, uh, from from the school of packaging, has has found a good job, and uh, and it seems like it's an area where there's uh, where there's great need. So that's just such a unique area of your college that isn't found in many other places. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we were the first packaging program in the U.S., and it uh, came about post-World War II and really was an amalgamation of some different disciplines, folks working in chemistry and in wooden paper science and informed the school. And we remain the only PhD granting program in the U.S. So a lot of the packaging science that's done not just here, but around the world is done by MSU graduates. And um, our graduates are in very high demand. Most of them end up with multiple job offers and um, you know, as we try and build capacity, we'll be able to uh, to put out more students. But you're right, we don't often think about the packaging. I mean, you know, we are all sort of have that mental struggle with, you know, this, the, and the physical struggle with the bag of cereal, right? Knowing it needs to be tightly closed to remain fresh, but, you know, you know, cursing at it as we try and get it open without spilling our Cheerios all over the place. But but those things are replicated in other places. Laura's work, for example, in medical packaging you know, they use the same packaging <clears throat> for most medical supplies in the ER that they use in the ambulance. In, in the ER, you've got an environment with a lot of help, um, very sterile, but you know, on the back of, of, a, of an ambulance, you might have one or maybe two MTs and they're bouncing around, you know, and so you don't have uh, nice sterile places and tables and a lot of help. So you know, being able to open a package in a moving ambulance where you don't have to use your teeth, for example, because you're the only one there. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing that Laura is working on, um, you know, making it better for patients, making it better for first responders and others. And that kind of work happens <clears throat> throughout the packaging school. It's making sure that things remain <clears throat> shelf stable. It's about, you know, doing what we can to foster biodegradable packaging. So we're not taking up so much space and for such long periods of time in landfills. And it touches us in, in all parts of our lives in ways obvious and not so obvious. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's heartening to hear you talk about your experiencing with that 
with that packaging, something that's new for us, very different than opening the cereal box and knowing you had instructions and a clear way to do it um, in a way that you felt you were gonna get a, a sample there and get back some useful information, you know, super important uh, in everyday life and particularly now during the pandemic. Well, somebody, somebody said uh, you know, life is in the details. And I think that, you know, so much that's going on in the college is, uh, is is in the details and and sometimes they're not always noticeable or things that we intuitively think about like packaging but but the ways in which they make our world a better place are really innumerable and uh, uh, thinking about the 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 hypothetical of being in the back of the ambulance and how critical it is that you can immediately access supplies uh, and yet those supplies have to be in a sterile environment. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the the processes that, uh, that it takes to, to solve those questions and that researchers and, and go through trial and error and testing and working with our students to, to solve those problems that, uh, that so many of which we just take for granted, really, I think, uh, is a, uh, a microcosm of what, what you do in the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Uh, solving so many of the world's problems that we're so grateful for, and yet that, uh, that we just sort of take for, take for granted in our, in our daily life, that when we go to, to Myers and we have a selection of 10 different apples to buy, that each and every one of them is healthy and safe and isn't going to, to cause us a disease and uh, uh, that, that our food supply is secure and, uh, and, and all of those incredible things. So. Uh, Ron, I, I, uh, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of weighty issues, and, and I always like to end with, uh, with at least a question or two that's uh, on the less weighty side. So I'll ask you, when you're, when you're not doing the extraordinary work of managing this, uh, this comprehensive operation that we call the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, what do you do for fun? Uh, well, you know, that's... That's been a little harder to find lately, and certainly some of the things we like to do are a little bit more difficult. So my wife and I enjoy traveling. That's, uh, you know, something we're a little more constrained now. We've tried to make use of, of the opportunities we do have to, to look around locally, um, you know, around the state. We're both from Michigan, so the parts of the state we know very well and other parts that we don't. You know, getting outside a lot, you know, my... Uh, uh, background academically is in forestry and that sprang out of a lot of my interest in the outdoors and time I spent there. So this has been a, a great time to be able to get outside. You know, we need the fresh air, we need the sunshine, we need the exercise. And um, so, you know, just getting out and about, doing almost anything are, are helpful. It seems if I'm at home, I'm usually work finds me somehow. So I think all those relaxing things are necessarily mean I'm doing something somewhere else. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest has been Ron Hendrick, a Dean of the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources at Michigan State University, uh, solving so many of the world's problems in ways uh, obvious and in many cases less so, and, uh, and fulfilling our, our land-grant mission as a uh, as the pioneer land-grant university each and every day. So, Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Always good to be with you. Thanks.